Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us. And going into this new year, we should be looking at things we can do to help prevent disease, help prevent sadness in crisis, and what to do if you're involved in that now. And that's what today's show is all about. I'm going to shorten my health and nutrition introduction here because I have so much that I think will help us deal with almost all of our life issues, or at least get started on the process. Now, what can you put in your home in case you have a cold, a flu, or what if you have COVID? All right? You should have a natural medicine uh, cabinet. I do. I have colloidal silver. I have manuka honey. I have... Uh, I have curcumin at high doses. I have a whole bunch of stuff that no matter what happens to me or maybe a family member or a friend who's visiting, I can go there and get them something that can make a difference. It's called functional food, all right, where it functions to help us either prevent or block and overcome some condition. And everything I do, there's a lot of peer-reviewed literature in the National Library of Medicine to support it. I'll give you an example. Do you remember back at the beginning of COVID, I suggested that we should have a way to build up our natural immune system, our innate immune system, to fortify it? I believe that we would all end up being infected, myself included, but that didn't mean we would all get sick, go to the hospital, need the intubation, or die. I wrote two articles, and every single thing I suggested in there, whether it was vitamin C or quercetin or manuka honey, all had at least five major peer-reviewed studies supporting its safety and efficacy. And so you could have checked that for yourself. So this wasn't old wives' tales. This was good science. Good science. And I know that a lot of you, because I saw the number of downloads, a lot of you went there and got yourself strong. Good for you. And how many of you got infected and you were over it in a day or two and there were no side effects, but now you had natural immunity and I also showed you all the scientific literature that natural immunity is one of the best things that can happen to us. And you did that as well. Well, now we find a study that shows how important and accurate that information was. There's a study that was done at a graduate, uh, the graduate center in, in Pakistan. And they found that consuming nigella sativa N-I-G-E-L-L-A-S-A-T-I-V-A, better known as black cumin seed oil, or they just use the black cumin seeds, with raw organic honey. Now, I would suggest manuka honey at 20. There's a number 20 on it, and that's your highest potency and best. And if you did that, it was better than a controlled study of people with COVID. Now, mind you, these were not asymptomatic. These are people who were ill or seriously ill with COVID. So one group got a placebo uh, for 14 days, and the other got this having this little drink every day with the raw honey and the black cumin oil. And they did tremendously better. Mind you, this was a randomized placebo-controlled uh, study with advanced cases. And, and they had 50% a quicker discharge from a hospital at six days rather than 14 days if they had the honey and black cumin seed oil. And so that was terrific. And mortality rates were 400% lower 
Listen again what I'm saying. This is mainstream science. It's telling you that Manuka honey and black cumin seed oil help prevent you from dying. All right? 400%. Now, another study, this University of Bath, beautiful town, by the way, if you're ever traveling, England has so many wonderful, beautiful places to see, and Bath is one of my favorite. I've been to England, I guess, about 40 times. In any case, they showed that mindfulness and exercising together help boost your overall mental health. And this was published in a major journal, the Journal of Mental Health and Physical Activity. What do I mean? Let me give an example because I do this almost every day. When I go out for my morning workout, I, and depending upon what I'm training for, right now I'm training for the state championships. I'm going to try to set a couple records. And if I do, uh, which will be kind of fun, uh, I'll be tied with the leading all-time track and field here in Florida. And anyhow, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it you know, shows that the older you get, it doesn't mean you have to get slower or weaker. That's an important lesson. In fact, my last race here in Florida, state championships, terrible day. In fact, I didn't even think they were going to do the race. I had to drive over from the West Coast where I'm at, clear over to Fort Lauderdale and where they were having it. And as a state championship, you had about 100 athletes coming from all over. But it was torrential rain going across Alligator Alley. In fact, I had to, it was so bad I couldn't see to drive. In some cases, I had to pull under an underpass. And I'm thinking, they're not going to do this. And then I'm thinking, well, that's here. And in Florida, you could have rain on one side of a road and sun on the other side. So I just said, well, I'm, I'm already here. Let me continue. Well, I got there. It was torrential. We were all in this, huddled up in this little van shelter. And uh, then there was people saying, hey, we're going to do this race? And the race director said, well, the water's already over everyone's ankles. And that means it's a slippery course, means you could fall. And I'm thinking we should do it. People say, one guy said, hey, I came from Ocala. I drove four hours to get here. I got to drive four hours back. Let's do the race. We'll be responsible. And then the winds came, 20-mile-an-hour winds. And we had to race into a 20-mile-an-hour wind with water uh, over our ankles. But we did the race. And uh, I signed up to do the 3,000-meter and the 2-mile. And uh, I did the best I could. And when you're in that kind, when you can't even hold your head up because the rain is hitting you in your eyes so hard, you're just paying attention to finishing this damn race uh, and then getting in the car, turning on the heater and going back home. And, and that's what I did. And there were turnarounds where I had to slow down because I saw people ahead of me slipping and falling and because you can't, can't get a grip. Anyhow, I got a call later from the race director. He says, well, Gary, um, thanks for coming over and doing the race. Oh, and you set two state records. Really? Yeah, and had you, in the 3,000 meter, you set a state record, and the two miles, you set a state record. Uh, but if it had been a clear day with no wind, you would have shattered a world record. You were within seconds of the American record. Uh, okay. And he said, this is the fastest race you've done in seven years. I've done a lot of fast races. I've seen a lot of records. I'm up around 20 now. And I think the, uh, the leader, Bill Fine, Bob Fine, great guy, he's at 21. And I'm going to try to meet that coming up. 
what is the message here? Because when I'm training, as I did this morning and every morning, I think the most positive thoughts I can, always based upon adversity, always based upon things that other people didn't learn, and trying to help them, I learned their lesson. Listen to what I just said. We can't change all the crises in life. We can't change people's minds most often. When people are stuck in a rut, there's a reason. We never ask, what does a person benefit from, from a bad choice? We should, because frequently I've found the answers to life's issues are in, what do you gain by being angry? What do you gain by being, I'm a victim, I'm a victim, I'm a victim of everything and everyone. I take no responsibility for anything. You're the problem. And they point a finger everywhere. What do you think that does to your immune system? What do you think that does to your friendships? What do you think does it to your work, to anything involved in your life? It stops you from growing. And then you, you morph into all negativity. And who wants to be around that? So what I do is, let's say with my parents, I love my parents. And my mother was just born with an innate abundance of common sense. They never went to college. Their generation, the previous ones, didn't, at least in the poor working class that I came from. But they were great at their trades, and they mastered so many things in life. That's why we call them the greatest generation. They survived the Great Depression and World War II. My father was in World War II. All, all my aunts and uncles were in World War II. But when I came home and would try to bring healthy produce from a local health food store and vitamins, and my mother said, don't bring that. I enjoy smoking my cigarettes. I enjoy drinking. I enjoy my 10 cups of coffee. I enjoy my pork chops. I enjoy all this, Gary. I'm not going to change, so stop. It's important for you and the people who might pay attention to you, but look around you. Look at all your friends. Look at all, all of our friends. Look at all your relatives. Do you see any of them ever making any effort to be healthy? <laughs> I was just, I hadn't thought about that. And uh, again, I was younger and dumb and not worldly. And I honor that. You know, you, you got to understand where you came from. And I said, yeah, Mom, you're right. She says, do you remember when you can't come in the room on Sundays because we're on there playing canasta and there's so much smoke in the room, you start coughing and have to go outside? Yeah. We're aware of that. You see, you might assume that we're not aware that sooner or later we'll pay a price for all these choices. But we are aware of that. And I thought, okay. Man, I felt bad. I flew back to New York that day. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, so when am I going to get a call that mom's dead? Well, she died at 58. My dad died two years before at 58. I never saw him do anything healthy. In fact, they rejected it. But that was their right, their body, their mind, their choices. And sooner or later, there's a tipping and you pay a price. So what I did is I simply one day, I came to a decision that almost everyone in my life, especially the older people, I'm in my young 20s, I'm seeing people in their 70s, 80s, 
some great people, wonderful people. Sarah Dona, the, the one of the greatest editors in American history. Um, and every major publisher brought their manuscripts, even of famous authors, to her because she put them into a shape and made wonderful masterpieces from them. There was a great Renaissance artist named Paul Swan. He would shuffle across the street <laughs> with his big fedora on. And when you look at his background, he was one of the most creative people in American history. Brilliant, sculptor, uh, poet, uh, playwright, actor, actor in Cecil B. DeMille's films. He was a friend of Gertrude Stein and D.H. Lawrence back in the 1920s. I mean, you're talking about meeting wonderful human beings far out of my class, and but I learned something. None of them would do anything right. I'd bring down Paul Swan at night at the Van Dyke Studios. He used to have, for 50 years, he was in Carnegie Hall Studios. Couldn't afford that anymore, so he was at the Van Dyke across the street. So I'd bring him really healthy lunches and juices. I'd go back the next day, the juice would be there. And you'd see rappers where he went across and got a, you know, a hamburger. So my entire life, I've never been able to help anyone that was close to me. Yeah, not even Marty Feldman. He died of acute constipation. How about that? But he helped, he helped a lot of people. These separate out what a person does for themselves that's wrong versus how they help other people, which is right. So I love these people. So what I did is I chose to learn their lessons for me. So if I said, is that the likely outcome of my parents, my aunts and uncles, my brother, then that's going to be my outcome. So I'm not going to go that way. So I chose a different path. And by the way, I do the same thing. How do you think I was able to help people reverse all their diseases? Thousands and thousands and thousands of them. You've seen them. You've heard them. They've come forward, you know. I'm even creating now a new uh, lifetime achievement. It's all testimonials where I film people before and after with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and, and ALS and all these conditions to show you what happens when a person changes their lifestyle. But you can't change your lifestyle if you don't change your mind. So your mindfulness is everything. So when I'm out there training for these championships, I'm thinking of the worst things that have happened in my life the most recent crisis I have to deal with that I never share with the public because it's my journey to take. I'm not laying that on anyone else. And then I realize I survived that. I'm alive today. I'm here today. I have a form today. I'm sharing today as I have for the last 58 years, nonstop, never missed a radio show. I don't take holidays. It's just another important day to be alive and to honor life. So listen to what I'm saying. If you take your crisis and you put your crisis into a different mindset, that what did I learn from this? How am I a better person? How am I a stronger person? How am I a wiser person than I was before that crisis? Then that's a crisis you're less likely to repeat and one that has fortified your character, your sense of self, your confidence in yourself. Never confuse a person who has abundance of confidence with ego. Ego has nothing to do with it. Keep the ego out of everything. Humble yourself and be righteous in your humility because that's where we grow. With humility, we're not afraid to learn. We're not afraid to 
relinquish our previous beliefs, assumptions, and perceptions so something new and more vital and more honest can take its place. Just a thought. And that's it on health and nutrition, the start of the new year. And we're going to take a break and come back. We have a lot to share. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We're going to have a great new year together. I have so many things planned. I'm going to tell you about some of the things I have planned coming up. And some of the things we were able to achieve in the last year. And hopefully this might motivate you to see what you can change from a negative to a positive in the upcoming year. But I want to start today with a 13-minute clip. And really, don't distract yourself. Focus on what this is being said by, it's written by Chris Hedges, but it's uh, voiced by another person. And it talks about the suffering of the innocence in Gaza. I don't care what your feelings are uh, about being Republican or Democrat. That's your business. But shouldn't all of us care about the suffering of children, the innocent, the women, the people who are not warriors, who are not ideologues, who don't support Hamas, who in fact can't stand Hamas, and now they have no place to go. They have no water, then they have no food, they have no electricity, they're starving to death. And we don't know how many are buried under the rubble. Some project as many as twenty to 30,000 individuals are under the rubble. And the latest count today, as of this morning, it's 24,000 dead civilians, over half of those, over half, 12,000 dead children. Since when is it okay not to pay attention to 12,000 dead children? So let us at least be aware of the suffering of others and not deny that their suffering is not important because they're the, they're the other. No, they're not the other. Let's not play that game. You're smarter than that. This audience is smarter than that. That's why I continue to do this show because I see how committed you are to the truth, how fearless you are to go out there and challenge and push back against the toxic reactions that we're living through right now of a corrupt government. I don't care who's in power. It's all corrupt. Corporate corruption, ideologue corruption, and you are speaking back to it. But let's hope others can look at the truth. The dead body is a dead body. A dead child is a dead child. I don't care what their religion, their ethnicity, I don't care. They're a sacred soul. They didn't deserve this. And we could stop this today if we stop the support of the tyrannical rabidly fascistic government in the Likud, in the Knesset party in Israel. My personal thoughts, you could be different. This has nothing to do with me loving and respecting all life, including the Jewish life and the Palestinian life, who should work together, live in peace and harmony together as they had for hundreds of years. I want to see peace for everyone. I want to see safety and quality of life for everyone, and that could happen, except for these people and the propaganda behind them controlling the narrative. Let's go to Chris Hedges now. The death of Israel. Settler colonial states have a terminal shelf life. Israel is no exception. Written by Chris Hedges for the Chris Hedges Report, chrishedges.substack.com. Narrated by Eunice Wong. 
Israel will appear triumphant after it finishes its genocidal campaign in Gaza and the West Bank. Backed by the United States, it will achieve its demented goal. Its murderous rampages and genocidal violence will exterminate or ethnically cleanse Palestinians. Its dream of a state exclusively for Jews, with any Palestinians who remain stripped of basic rights, will be realized. It will revel in its blood-soaked victory. It will celebrate its war criminals. Its genocide will be erased from public consciousness and tossed into Israel's huge black hole of historical amnesia. Those with a conscience in Israel will be silenced and persecuted. But by the time Israel achieves its decimation of Gaza, Israel is talking about months of warfare, it will have signed its own death sentence. Its facade of civility, its supposed vaunted respect for the rule of law and democracy, its mythical story of the courageous Israeli military and miraculous birth of the Jewish nation, will lie in ash heaps. Israel's social capital will be spent. It will be revealed as an ugly, repressive, heat-filled apartheid regime, alienating younger generations of American Jews. Its patron, the United States, as new generations come into power, will distance itself from Israel the way it's distancing itself from Ukraine. Its popular support, already eroded in the U.S., will come from America's Christianized fascists who see Israel's domination of ancient biblical land as a harbinger of the Second Coming and, in its subjugation of Arabs, a kindred racism and white supremacy. Palestinian blood and suffering... Ten times the number of children have been killed in Gaza as in two years of war in Ukraine will pave the road to Israel's oblivion. The tens, perhaps hundreds of thousands of ghosts will have their revenge. Israel will become synonymous with its victims, the way Turks are synonymous with the Armenians, Germans are with the Namibians and later the Jews, and Serbs are with the Bosniaks. Israel's cultural, artistic, journalistic, and intellectual life will be exterminated. Israel will be a stagnant nation, where the religious fanatics, bigots, and Jewish extremists who have seized power will dominate public discourse. It will find its allies among other despotic regimes. Israel's repugnant racial and religious supremacy will be its defining attribute, which is why the most retrograde white supremacists in the U.S. and Europe including philo-Semites such as John Hagee, Paul Gosar, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, fervently back Israel. The vaunted fight against anti-Semitism is a thinly disguised celebration of white power. Despotisms can exist long after their past due date, but they are terminal. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to see that Israel's lust for rivers of blood is antithetical to the core values of Judaism— the cynical weaponization of the Holocaust, including branding Palestinians as Nazis, has little efficacy when you carry out a live-streamed genocide against 2.3 million people trapped in a concentration camp. Nations need more than force to survive. They need a mystique. This mystique provides purpose, civility, and even nobility to inspire citizens to sacrifice for the nation. This mystique offers hope for the future. It provides meaning. It provides national identity. When mystiques implode, when they're exposed as lies, a central foundation of state power collapses. I reported on the death of the communist mystiques in 1989 during the revolutions in East Germany, Czechoslovakia, and Romania. The police and the military decided there was nothing left to defend. 
Israel's decay will engender the same lassitude and apathy. It won't be able to recruit indigenous collaborators, such as Mahmoud Abbas and the Palestinian Authority, reviled by most Palestinians, to do the bidding of the colonizers. The historian Ronald Robinson cites the inability to recruit indigenous allies by the British Empire as the point at which collaboration inverted into non-cooperation, a defining moment for the start of decolonization. Once non-cooperation by native elites morphs into active opposition, Robinson explains, the empire's rapid retreat is assured. All Israel has left is escalating violence, including torture, which accelerates the decline. This wholesale violence works in the short term, as it did in the war waged by the French in Algeria, the dirty war waged by Argentina's military dictatorship, and during Britain's conflict in Northern Ireland. But in the long term, it's suicidal. You might say that the Battle of Algiers was won through the use of torture, the British historian Alistair Horne observed, but that the war, the Algerian war, was lost. The genocide in Gaza has turned Hamas fighters into heroes in the Muslim world and the global south. Israel may wipe out the Hamas leadership, but the past and current assassinations of scores of Palestinian leaders has done little to blunt resistance. The siege and genocide in Gaza has produced a new generation of deeply traumatized and enraged young men and women whose families have been killed and whose communities have been obliterated. They're prepared to take the place of martyred leaders. Israel has sent the stock of its adversary into the stratosphere. Israel was at war with itself before October 7th. Israelis were protesting to prevent Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's abolition of judicial independence. Its religious bigots and fanatics, currently in power, had mounted a determined attack on Israeli secularism. Israel's unity since the attacks is precarious. It's a negative unity. It's held together by hatred. And even this hatred is not enough to keep protesters from decrying the government's abandonment of Israeli hostages in Gaza. Hatred is a dangerous political commodity. Once finished with one enemy, those who stoke hatred go in search of another. The Palestinian human animals, when eradicated or subdued, will be replaced by Jewish apostates and traitors. The demonized group can never be redeemed or cured. A politics of hatred creates a permanent instability that's exploited by those seeking the destruction of civil society. Israel was far down this road on October 7th when it promulgated a series of discriminatory laws against non-Jews that resemble the racist Nuremberg laws that disenfranchised Jews in Nazi Germany. The community's acceptance law permits exclusively Jewish settlements to bar applicants for residency on the basis of suitability to the community's fundamental outlook. Many of Israel's best educated and young have left the country to places like Canada, Australia, and the UK, with as many as one million moving to the United States. Even Germany has seen an influx of around 20,000 Israelis in the first two decades of the century. Around 470,000 Israelis have left the country since October 7th. Within Israel, human rights campaigners, intellectuals, and journalists, Israeli and Palestinian, are attacked as traitors in government-sponsored smear campaigns, placed under state surveillance, and subjected to arbitrary arrests. The Israeli educational system is an indoctrination machine for the military. 
The Israeli scholar Yeshayahu Leibovitz warned that if Israel did not separate church and state and end its occupation of the Palestinians, it would give rise to a corrupt rabbinate that would warp Judaism into a fascistic cult. Israel, he said, would not deserve to exist, and it will not be worthwhile to preserve it. The global mystique of the U.S. after two decades of disastrous wars in the Middle East and the assault on the capital on January 6th is as contaminated as its Israeli ally. The Biden administration, in its fervor to unconditionally support Israel and appease the powerful Israel lobby, has bypassed the congressional review process with the Department of State to approve the transfer of 14,000 rounds of tank ammunition to Israel. Secretary of State Antony Blinken argued that an emergency exists that requires the immediate sale. At the same time, he has cynically called on Israel to minimize civilian casualties. Israel has no intention of minimizing civilian casualties. It has already killed 18,800 Palestinians, 0.82% of the Gazan population, the equivalent of around 2.7 million Americans. Another 51,000 have been wounded. Half of Gaza's population is starving, according to the UN. All Palestinian institutions and services that sustain life, hospitals, only 11 out of 36 hospitals in Gaza are still partially functioning, water treatment plants, power grids, sewer systems, housing, schools, government buildings, cultural centers, telecommunications systems, mosques, churches, UN food distribution points— have been destroyed. Israel has assassinated at least 80 Palestinian journalists alongside dozens of their family members and over 130 UN aid workers along with members of their families. Civilian casualties are the point. This is not a war against Hamas. It is a war against the Palestinians. The objective is to kill or remove 2.3 million Palestinians from Gaza. The shooting dead of three Israeli hostages, who apparently escaped their captors and approached Israeli forces with their shirts off, waving a white flag and calling out for help in Hebrew, is not only tragic, but a glimpse of Israel's rules of engagement in Gaza. These rules are, kill anything that moves. As the retired Israeli Major General Giora Island, who formerly headed the Israeli National Security Council, wrote in Yediot Aharonot, The state of Israel has no choice but to turn Gaza into a place that is temporarily or permanently impossible to live in. Creating a severe humanitarian crisis in Gaza is a necessary means to achieve the goal. Gaza will become a place where no human being can exist, he wrote. Major General Ghassan Alian declared that in Gaza, there will be no electricity and no water, there will only be destruction. You wanted hell, you will get hell. Settler colonial states that endure, including the United States, exterminate through diseases and violence nearly the entirety of their indigenous populations. Infectious diseases brought by the colonizers to the Americas, such as smallpox, killed an estimated 56 million indigenous people over about 100 years in South, Central, and North America. By 1600, less than a tenth of the original population remained. Israel cannot kill on this scale, with nearly 5.5 million Palestinians living under occupation and another 9 million in the diaspora. 
The Biden presidency, which ironically may have signed its own political death certificate, is tethered to Israel's genocide. It will try to distance itself rhetorically, but at the same time, it will funnel the billions of dollars of weapons demanded by Israel, including $14.3 billion in supplemental military aid to augment the $3.8 billion in annual aid to finish the job. It's a full partner in Israel's genocide project. Israel is a pariah state. This was publicly on display on December 12th, when 153 member states at the UN General Assembly voted for a ceasefire, with only 10, including the US and Israel, opposed, and 23 abstaining. Israel's scorched-earth campaign in Gaza means there will be no peace. There will be no two-state solution. Apartheid and genocide will define Israel. This presages a long, long conflict, one the Jewish state cannot ultimately win. That was The Death of Israel, written by Chris Hedges, narrated by Eunice Wong. And welcome back, everyone. Sobering thoughts. Whether you support or don't support of the Palestinians, we should all support protecting the lives of the innocent in this world, in Yemen, in Ukraine, in Somalia, wherever there is conflict, especially when the United States is supplying all the weapons, all the intelligence necessary for those people who have nothing. They're poverty-bound. They have no place to go. And yet we're standing by as if it's not our problem. It's someone else's because they have been deemed by the media as the other. And the moment someone becomes the other, the sanctity of their life no longer matters. Well, it does to me. Now we're going over and say hello to Gerald Solante who's standing by. Gerald is a longtime friend and one of the most important seekers of the truth for the future in the United States. He is accurate probably 90% of the time. Gerald Solante is the founder and publisher of the Trends Journal, which is an extremely important guide to how we can navigate the future. Nice to have you with us today, Gerald. Ah, it's great being on with you and uh, wishing you and everyone a happy new year, but it doesn't look so happy. as uh, I was just listening to that uh, Chris Hedges piece. Uh, well, we uh, need to uh, hear the Chris Hedges piece. We need uh, to hear. We are a forum for the voiceless. Well, I know. I mean, you know, I I fight for peace with occupied peace that you've been so great in supporting over the years. I want to read something to you. This is from our Trends Journal, uh, one of our top trends for 2024, and it's Crusades 2000. You know, people have no idea about how this whole Jewish state was formed. And part of it was what they call the Balfour Declaration back in 2000, excuse me, 1917, right after the war, World War One. And we, we write, <laughs> regardless of what England's reasons or intentions were, self-serving or otherwise, Crusades 2000 was set in motion by the 1917 Balfour Declaration that laid the foundation for Israel. This is the quote. Quote, His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine 
of a national home for the Jewish people and will use its best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this objective. Wait a minute. His Majesty's government? You mean a bunch of murderous, slaughtering slime where the sun never sets on the British Empire? World War, World War One. Oh, uh, how many people did they kill in India when they occupied it? Oh, the numbers came out between killing them and, and, with the, and what they did to them, over about 200 million. Who is His Majesty's government to decide that there should be a, uh, a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine? So the whole thing is made up, and of course, they, you know, the details of who did it and why. So this is, this is, this is an act of, and, and then again, all of these, quote, settlements. Isn't that a nice word for stealing land in violation of the Geneva Conventions and Article 242 of the uh, uh, United Nations? So all this, again, we were writing about this uh, in beginning last year, last December, December 2022, not 2023, 2022, when Netanyahu got back into office. What is this, his sixth time there running for 20 years, this, this maniac? And he, not my language, the language of the mainstream media and his extreme right-wing government. Killing Palestinians almost on a daily basis, doing all these terrible things in, quote, the occupied territory. And I got a little clown boy that is the president of Ukraine, uh, excuse me, of, uh, of Israel, saying that, quote, God gave us this land. And what, hey, Junior, what if I don't believe in your God? What are you, what are you talking about? So what I'm saying is we, people have no idea of the 39 weeks of protests going on after Netanyahu got elected and pushed through the Judicial Reform Act that basically said the courts have no rights, we have all the rights. 39 weeks of major protests, and again, going back to that arrogant Isaac Herzog, they called it a civil war was going on in Israel before Hamas attacked on October 7th. A civil war. And one of my lines is, when all else fails, they take you to war. And when you saw the facts coming out, and again, right after the Hamas attack, again, we detailed it in the Trends Journal, kept detailing it. They knew this was going to happen. The United States warned them, and Egypt warned them. That was the very beginning, and then you saw everything else that came out, that they knew this was going to happen. They let it happen, because now they all support the war, but only 15% of the people support Netanyahu. As I say, when all else fails, they take you to war, and he took them to war. Okay, Gerald, let's go through. I'm going to give you a series of concerns that all of us have for the next year and beyond. But I believe that things are accelerating at such a rapid pace that many of these issues will occur within the next 12 to 24 months. You decide which one of these you want to take on first. The bank's going broke because of their outstanding debt, especially commercial debt that's not going to be paid back, which means $240 billion the banks are not prepared to absorb that loss. The derivative position, which most people don't even understand a derivative, and why they're even legally allowed, and yet all the banks, the top five banks, cumulatively hold over $400 trillion in derivatives. If any one of those banks goes under, they all go under. 
Then we have the dollar. It's dying. And yet, we have this false economy. And Wall Street keeps going up. They're now around 27000 And they should be, realistically, based upon the actual valuation, around 12000 So we're double the value that we really should be putting on assets. And yet, we're not counting any of the debts. Along comes BRICS, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, um, and South Africa. But more importantly now, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Mexico, Nigeria, Argentina, and now 30 other countries, 31 other countries want to join BRICS. So right now, they're building super highways, uh, speed trains that are unimaginable in the United States, even exceeding those in Italy, Germany, and France. And uh, they will be built in a matter of months, not decades. And they're building infrastructure all throughout these countries. They're putting tens of millions of people to work, and their economies are growing. That means that within the next 12 months, I believe, there will be an announcement that the BRICS have exceeded the United States, Europe, and Canada in gross domestic product. When that happens, watch the dollar drop like a lead balloon. But I want you to talk about that. The bank's going broke. BRICS will no longer be a, you know, an afterthought. It'll be the power at the global level. And then finally, I'd like to t- uh, give you your, your insights into the consequences of unrestrained and non-qualified immigration and what that means. We're all for immigration. Your parents came from uh, immigrants. Part of my family was Native American. The other part came from poor Irish and were Quakers. And, but today, the government is allowing this to happen, encouraging it to happen, facilitating it because it means votes. And if you doubt that, you've got to hear the clip between the new head of the House and uh, Jerry Adler from New York, where Adler says, no, 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 the, the immigrants won't be able to vote. Not true. They're voting in state elections, which then gives them opportunity to vote in federal elections. And so there's the houseman said, there's it is. It's in a nutshell. You're allowing all this to happen, the destruction of our cities, our quality of life, allowing gangs in, because you're buying the vote. It's that simple. Occam's razor. Take over from now until the end of the show. We're going to say goodbye to BAI in, in 10 minutes, but we're going to go straight through with Joe Slante giving us his predictions on just these three. The all right, on the bank. On the banks go bust, uh, one of our top trends for 2023 was office building bust. We've been warning about this since they launched the COVID war back in January 2020. On Chinese Lunar New Year, the year of the rat. The work-at-home trend is real. Not my numbers. Go to Castle Systems with a K. Your office occupancy rate in the United States is around 50%. 50%. Your office vacancy rate, vacant buildings, 20%. Now look at all of the businesses that are going out of business because people aren't commuting anymore. And again, this isn't only in the United States. It's, it's around the world. So now, how are you going to pay, how are you going to pay your loans? And all that you mentioned, all the money co- loans coming up, and there are trillions and trillions more coming up. How are you going to pay them when you don't have the tenants aren't renewing their leases? And, and they're saying, I don't need all this space. Stay at home, work at home two or three days a week. I'm going to save a lot of money. 
you're, you're going to see a banking bust. The Silicon Valley bust, the First Republic bust in 2023 is nothing compared to what's going on. And what you said, the $400 trillion in derivatives that they have. And by the way, for good information, people might want to go to Wall Street on Parade. Russ, Pam and Russ uh, Martins, M-A-R-T-E-N-S, Wall Street on Parade, they really list the banking issues. But we were the first ones talking about this office building bust, and it's barely talked about in the media. So this is going to bring down the banks. When the banks crashed and people realize how bad it is, like they did with the panic of 08. Now let's go back to the dollar. The dollar is going to go down when the banks go down, but you also mentioned about BRICS. They've had enough of the United States geopolitical and economic hegemony. So here's the deal. Already Iran, uh, China, Russia, no, no, we're not going to deal with dollars anymore. And neither are the BRICS. They're going to start, they're probably going to go into a gold currency, uh, backed by gold, the currency is backed by gold, and they're going to do away with the dollar. The death of the dollar was one of our top trends for this year, last year as well. whole magazine we did on it. Now, the dollar is going to die in two ways. Number one, when they lower interest rates. The only reason the dollar is strong is because interest rates are so high. As the dollar go, as the do, as interest rates go down, the dollar goes down. Oh, and gold prices. This is the year for gold. We see this as a golden year for gold because the dollar is going to go down as interest rates go down, and gold prices are going to go up because the cheaper the dollar, lower the dollar goes, the cheaper it is for other countries to buy gold. Also, all things are connected. As we're talking right now, the news came out this morning about over, well over 100 people were killed in Iran. They were celebrating or something, ceremony of Soleimani's death, the general that uh, Trump killed in Iran when he was in Iraq uh, a couple of years ago, about four years ago. So now, what does that mean? It means that if Iran and Israel, if this war expands, you're going to see oil prices skyrocket. That's going to bring down the economy. It's going to bring down the equity markets, but it's also going to push up gold prices because that's the number one safe haven asset as we see it. So that's what you're talking about when we're talking about the BRICS, what the, what's going on, and they've had enough. And you start making the connections between this, and you can see where it's going. Because also, oh, the, the, the debt level today just hit $34 trillion. $34 trillion. How are you going to pay this off? Everybody out there listening, if you're deep in debt, how can you keep borrowing more money to keep buying more and doing more? You can't do it. Oh, and going back to the bricks and what you said, Gary, about, oh, the high-speed trains. Oh, take the subways in New York. It's a night in Calcutta. Look at the crappy trains that we have. Get on Amtrak. Crap trap. What, are you kidding me? Oh, we got to spend trillions of dollars. Oh, they just passed a new defense budget, almost a trillion dollars, and when you put in when you put in the, the, quote, the intelligence agencies, it's well over a trillion. So rather than spending the money 
to rebuild America's rotted infrastructure and become more of a self-sustaining economy, it's all going to the war machine. Oh, and by the way, you have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to understand that when you see the arrogant guy who, I was a general, and you're nothing but a bunch of privates, so you listen to me. My name is Lloyd Austin. I was a general in Iraq. I slaughtered people there. I was a general in Afghanistan. I slaughtered people there. And my last job before Biden put me on as the Secretary of Defense, I sat on the board of Raytheon, the second largest defense contractor in the United States. And he talks to us as if we're all privates, because that's the mind of these guys. The general, the general piece of crap. So going on to where we are, the, um, uh, uh, we, we talked about the banks going bust, and now the migrants. One of our top trends, migrant madness, mad as hell. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Look what's going on. Again, you talked about our parents' generation and my parents' generation. They, they, the, uh, I remember as a kid, I'm 77, I remember as a kid hearing my parents, they couldn't get their cousin Constantino to come into America because the, because the restrictions were so tight. And then they changed because another murderous piece of crap, LBJ, LB Jerkoff, yeah, gave us the Vietnam War. And what happened? Hey, well, they've, they've, they've taken all the young guys. I mean, I did everything I could to beat the draft. We needed more people here. He was the one that first changed the strict immigration rules in this country. Then number two, wrote about it in my book, Trends 2000, international bestseller. The H-1B visas, the whole internet revolution is starting in the early 90s. Hey, we can't pay these people all this money. We need cheap labor. Let's go with H-1B visa. That was, the, that was the beginning of the end of it. So number one, as you said, they want to vote. There's another reason. They want cheap labor. You go to, because all we are are plantation workers of Slavelandia. Once upon a time, there were hardware stores, grocery stores, stationery stores, uh, uh, you know, grocery stores. Now they're all chains. Stationery chains, drug chains, hardware chains. Everything's a chain. Go to these chains, any one of them, and look on the doors as you walk in. Help wanted. Help wanted. Yeah. We need, we need plantation workers, because that's all we are. How you can't work in one of those places? Every time I go into a Home Depot or Lowe's, my heart breaks when I see the people working there. They need more cheap labor. Every one of them's looking Marshalls, Target, you name it. They're all looking for cheap labor, and that's why they're going to keep bringing them in and and keep it going like this. So it, again, it's it's migrant madness. And again, get this, everybody listening. America, oh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, the Middle East, we're going to protect this place, we're going to keep the, uh, the, uh, the, the Ukraine war going. Hey, you, you, you military clowns, you can't stop people coming over the border and you're going to win wars? Oh, you haven't won one since World War II, just for the record. So that's where we're at. This thing's going back down big. And again, World War III began with the Ukraine war and that's going to be ramped up because they're out of the news now. They're going to do everything they can to get back in. So watch for a major false flag event of some kind to get the people behind Ukraine again. And then the Israel war is going to keep ramping up. Netanyahu's not going to stop it. And, you, and again, that, that piece by Chris Hedges, 
He makes it really clear of the madmen in charge. They're out of their minds. And again, our greatest concern, World War III has begun, and if we don't stop it, it's going to be nuclear annihilation. Everybody should look up the Samson option in Israel. If Israel starts losing, they go nuclear. Not my language, theirs. That's a lot to unpack. I will emphasize one thing you mentioned is the visas. We began to see this when major corporations had millions of employees, loyal, highly educated in their craft, and the go-to person. I'll go to Susan. I'll go to Jim. They've been here 20 years. They had seniority. There was a time in America when the people worked hard, dedicated to the company because they would gain seniority. They'd get an extra week vacation. They would get an extra bonus. And they were, they were revered by the other workers, managers. So they, let's say you were making 160 to 175,000 a year. You've been there 25 years. You deserved it. Now they bring in the visas. A guy comes in and he comes from South Korea. He's well-educated. He's 23 years old. And he's going to take the place of a woman who is 50 years old and been there for a long time. And he's going to be paid $50,000. She's paid 175000 without including the bonuses, the sick pay, the vacation pay. So she's making well over 200000 They're paying him without the holidays on these visas, without the bonuses. There are millions of them willing to take this work. And he comes in, and the woman that he's replacing is now have to teach him her job, her contacts, how to do things, and then she's given six months, and she's gone. What is the likelihood she's going to find another job? Not in that field, because I saw it. I saw it, Jay, uh, excuse me, Gerald, when I was looking for an additional um, art director. And at that time, you had all the big advertising firms and these people were there a long time, art directors. They made a lot of money. Some of them were making two to 300000 a year plus bonuses. And I put an ad out. And I'm thinking, well, I'll get, you know, some of those who are unemployed. I was inundated, over 200. And I never will forget this one guy comes in. We got to say goodbye to BAI. We're going to continue on PRN.live to the top of the show with Gerald Salante. In any case, I said, sir, I said, you're overqualified for the job, but also your compensation package here where you came from one of the biggest advertising agencies, it's terrific. You know, uh, why would you even think of going from 350000 a year to 50000 a year? I said, and that's as much, I'm a little tiny business guy. That's as much as I can afford. He said, well, he said, there's no job for me or anyone else like me. The visa people have taken over all of our work. Really? That's where I first became aware of it. He said, look, I got an apartment in New York City. I got a home for my family in, in Connecticut. All my kids are in Ivy League schools. I got three of them. He said, I'm gone. I got a small severance pay, and that was it. And I've been living at a lifestyle that is able to be covered by my, you know, with some debt, by my income. Now I have zero income. So I'll take the job for 50000 
And I thought, and I thought about it, and I thought, well, yeah, he could certainly do the job, but what mindset would he bring every day he came to work thinking, somehow I'm going to this lower level, lower position? He'd be angry. He'd be depressed. I don't want to be resented for giving a person a job where they feel they're taking a big step down to a lower class. So instead, I hired someone who has worked out perfect for all these years. That's just one example of what you were saying, Gerald. Gerald, have one more topic to hit very quickly. We have three minutes to go. What do you see as far as the election forecast this moment since the Democrats are trying to keep Trump off the ticket? A big mistake. I don't like Trump, but boy, this is just stupid. What do you see happening? Well, it's a it's a presidential reality show. This is terrible. It, it, again, let not me look at the polls. The people don't want either of them, and what they're each saying to each other, what Biden calls Trump and what Trump calls Biden, this is either one of them win, the American people lose. And there's really, to me, I was supporting, as you know, uh, RFK Jr. Uh, because I thought he was anti-war, and you know, I launched Occupy Peace, you know, over a decade ago. And now he's so pro-Israel in the stupidity that he speaks, I no longer support him. The people are looking for a third party, and we don't have one in this country. And again, again, all things are connected. You go back to the, uh, the uh, migrant madness. Look at what's going on all over Europe with, the, with these populist parties coming in because the people are fed up with what's going on. The people are fed up with both parties. But we haven't had, you know, a real third party here since, what, before the Civil War? So whoever wins, we lose, and it's going to be, it's going to be terrible. But again, what we believe is that Biden is going to do everything he can to stay in office, and that means getting America into war. I hope you're wrong, Gerald, but unfortunately, you're almost always right. People should go to Trends Journal. Uh, it's trendsjournal.com, and also he has war and peace issues at OccupyPeace.com. I had the privilege of being up there this year and last year, and I want to thank the 4,000 people from this audience who came up to join us there to celebrate uh, those of us who believe that we are capable of having a world at peace, but not as long as there are people, the tyrants who are in office. doesn't matter, Republican or Democrat. Just go down all the presidents, and you'll see that they all were neocons. You'd have to go way back and and not to see that. Gerald, thank you. As we do every year at the beginning of the year, you're on and give us your ideas for the year. Thank we you so much it. for having me. By the way, the real best. quick, what do you think gold will go to? If I think gold could definitely go into the 3,000 mark. Wow. And again, it, because there's it also going to be political uh, unrest around the country, around the world, and it's going to be the number one safe haven asset. We're also bullish on Bitcoin, too, because when you go to these other countries like Argentina, etc., the people, they're, they're losing the value of their currency, so they're going into Bitcoin. So both of those we see going up. Okay. Thanks a lot, Gerald, and all the best in this new year to you. Right, thank you. Bye-bye. We're out of time, everyone. Thank you for uh tuning in. And by the way, I'm, I'm streaming this video every day at, on uh, Zoom so you can see the program as well as listen to it. I have a lot of interesting stuff to share with you tomorrow, so I hope you tune in. Have a nice day, everyone.